So this morning, we're going to continue and actually wrap up our little two-week series entitled God's Will. And we began last Sunday really just kind of laying the foundation, talking about how that God's will is not this mysterious thing. It's not this place where I make one decision and all of a sudden I live in the will of God for the rest of my life. We recognize that God's will is really a daily decision. It's a daily decision to choose to do the things that God has very clearly and purposely laid out in His Word. And what we recognized last week is that God has revealed what we call the universal will of God. And that's God's will for all believers. And then in that universal will of God, we discover God's specific or individual will for our lives. So let me just encourage you. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I really just don't know what God's will for my life is. Let me encourage you in this. Embrace His universal will. Embrace God's revealed will through Scripture. And I believe this with all my heart because it worked in my life and I've seen it work in every person's life that I know of today that is living in the will of God for their lives. This is what happens. You start to do His revealed will and you'll discover His specific will. You start to do the universal will of God for all believers and you'll discover God's unique will for your life and you'll begin to walk with a greater purpose and a greater clarity than you've ever experienced before. So I hope that we're going to walk away from this message with some very practical ways to begin to do the will of God, right? To make those decisions on a daily basis so we can live out God's will in our lives. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 16 through 18 The Bible says, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is, y'all say it with me, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. For this is God's will for you. So again, God's will is not this mysterious place. God's will has been revealed to us through the Word of God and the Spirit of God so we can begin to walk in the heart of God for every individual's life. So we recognized last week, let's just look at a couple points again. We said that God's will for our lives is unique and specific, but it's also universal. We said that God has that unique and specific will for our individual lives, but he also has that universal will for all believers. And as we just said, it's in that universal will that we discover God's unique will for our lives. So last week we talked about the idea that verse 16 says this, Always be joyful, for this is the will of God for your life. So we recognized something last week. We recognized that God's will for our lives is joy. God's will is that we choose joy on a daily basis, that we literally rejoice by choice. And we talked about last Sunday how important it is to recognize that our lives don't have to be enjoyable because we understood something together, right? We understood that most of the time our lives are not necessarily enjoyable. Our lives are filled with a lot of mundane, ordinary, repetitive things that we have to do every day, right? You got to get up, you got to take a bath, you got to brush your teeth, you got to pay the bills, you got to raise the kids, you got to go to work, you got to do all that stuff. And it's not always this great, enjoyable thing. It's just the mundane, ordinary things of life that we all have to do in order to survive and ultimately thrive to live the life God's called us to live. And so what we recognize was that our life doesn't have to be enjoyable, but we can still enjoy our lives. We can enjoy our lives even in the unenjoyable moments of life because joy is a choice, right? It is the will of God that we always be joyful, that we choose joy. 
And let me just pause real quick and say what I said again last Sunday, and then we're going to move on. Let me just say that very clear that that does not mean that we don't grieve. That does not mean that we don't mourn. That does not mean that we don't work through our grief and through that healing process that happens because there are bad things and difficult things and grievous things that happen in our life, and you've got to deal with that grief. You've got to feel that grief. You've got to work through that grief. You've got to process that grief. But the goal of this scripture and Paul's revelation to us is that the default mode of our lives should be joy. The default mode of our life. Yes, there's grief. Yes, there's sorrows. Yes, those processes and paths we have to take. But the default mode of my life should be joy. So I want to learn how to choose joy. So let me give you a challenge and thought on this, and we're going to press on to our next two points from the scripture today. So here's the challenging thought. If you're not enjoying your life, then you're not in the will of God. If God's will is always be joyful, then if you're not enjoying your life, then you're not living in or doing the will of God. Again, life doesn't have to be enjoyable, but we have to learn. It's the will of God that we learn how to choose joy, that we learn how to choose to rejoice by choice in spite of the circumstances and the situations that are happening in our life. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Is it beneficial? Absolutely. We looked last week, and I'm not going to repeat it, but if you'll go back, if you missed the sermon last Sunday, you'll recognize there are some very specific things that happen in our life when we choose joy. And joy gives us victory over the enemy to keep us, right, to keep us from becoming slaves and bondage, slaves living in bondage to our circumstance and our situation. Several years ago, it's actually been many years ago, I was talking to a lady in our church. Her name's Monica. And uh, Monica said, Pastor Keith, how you doing? I said, well, I'm doing pretty good under the circumstances. And I'll never forget it. She looked at me and she said, well, what are you doing under there? <laughs> what are you doing under there? What are you doing living under your circumstances, right? Because we get to choose joy. And joy is the will of God for our lives. But the Apostle Paul went on and he says, always be joyful, never stop praying, and be thankful in all circumstances. So look at that next point. God's will for our lives is persistent prayer. He says, never stop praying. So what does that mean? I, I wrote down just kind of a, a, a a bunch of thoughts and ideas about what does it really mean for me to be persistent in prayer? What does that really mean if I'm going to never stop praying? This is the will of God, that you never stop praying, that you persist in prayer. Let me give you some thoughts on what I believe that really means in our lives. Number one, I believe it means that we just never stop talking to God. How many know that the bottom core foundation of what prayer is, prayer is just communion with God? Prayer is just talking with God. Prayer is having those conversations with the Lord. And, and how many of you understand that prayer is not just what happens when we bow our heads and fold our hands? Prayer is that ongoing conversation. Prayer is that opportunity that we have 24-7, 365 days a year to talk to God, right? To commune with our Heavenly Father. And here's some good news. If you talk to God, guess what? He'll talk back. It really is amazing what will happen when you begin to talk to the Lord, when you begin to pray, when you begin to cultivate that life and just says, you know what, I'm going to pray without ceasing. I'm never going to stop praying. I'm going to persist in prayer. I'm just going to keep on talking to God. My conversation with the Lord is a never-ending conversation. How, how many married people in the house today? Got any married folks in the house? How many of you understand if you're married, your conversation with your spouse never ends? And if it does, you're in trouble. 
Right? The moment you stop talking is the moment you're coming in my office and sitting down talking about divorce. Let's just be honest, right? That's what happens. The moment spouses stop communicating, the moment that ongoing conversation stops happening, before you know it, there's no relationship, there's no friendship, there's no fun, there's no joy, there's no peace. We don't even like each other anymore. And now we're sitting down trying to figure out how we're going to get a divorce and not hurt the kids. The answer is you can't. It'll hurt the kids. And so we understand that prayer, prayer is communion. Prayer is when I just make that commitment that the will of God is that I never stop talking to him. Think about that. Look at this next part. No, it doesn't mean that I never stop talking. It means that I never stop taking my problems to God. Man, God, God, this is crazy. God loves your problems. God's not intimidated by your problems. And God wants us, I want you to hear me today, God wants us to bring our problems, our concerns, our cares, our worry, our anxiety, our struggles, our challenges. God wants us to bring those things to him. And listen to what the Bible says. It's the will of God when you bring them to the Lord. It's the will of God when we cast our cares on him, the Bible says, because he cares for us. Now, now, let me tell you what I think happens to us sometimes. I know I'm probably guilty of it. Maybe you are too. Is we all have those people in our lives. You ever have those people when, when their name shows up on your phone, you're like, hello, what's wrong? You know, you just know the only reason they call is when they got a problem. The only reason they call when they got something's going on and they need some help. And, and, and what happens is in the natural, because we're humans, we, we, kind of, we, kind of, we kind of push away a little bit from those people. They kind of bother us and they frustrate us just a little bit. And all the time you call me is when you got a problem. Let me tell you something awesome about God. He's not that way. Paul said, always pray. The will of God is that you pray without ceasing, that you never stop praying. God never looks at your name on caller ID and says, oh, no, not again. God's like, oh, praise the Lord, they're calling me again. I wonder what's going on now. I can't wait to hear what problem we're going to solve today. Because he's a good father. And you're never a bother. As a matter of fact, according to the scripture we just read this morning, you are never more in the will of God than when you're praying and taking your problems and your concerns and your cares to the Father. David said, I poured my complaint out on God. God. God is big and God is good and God is gracious and God desires us to bring those things to the Lord. Paul says, never stop praying because this is God's will. Never stop bringing your problems. Never stop casting your cares. Never stop asking for your needs to be met. Never stop believing for the impossible. How many know God's a supernatural God? How many know he's a God that gets excited when we believe him for big things, when we ask for supernatural things, when we ask for the impossible thing? God's like, oh no, what are we going to do? God's like, oh yeah, here we go. Something great's going to happen because my children are asking for big impossible Possible things. Never stop believing, asking, trusting, going to God for those big things. Never stop coming to Him. Look with me in Philippians 4, verse 6. Very familiar scripture. I love this verse, though. The Bible says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything and tell God what. You need. 
Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything and then tell God, what do you need? What do you need? You need wisdom? You need insight? You need healing? You need deliverance? You need financial breakthrough? What do you need? You need grace to get through something. You need discernment to overcome, a, make a wise decision. What do you need? Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Pray about everything. And then tell God what you need. Again, he never grows weary. He never grows tired in hearing our petitions and our prayers. As a matter of fact, he said, this is my will. Never stop praying. Matthew chapter 7, we read this verse or these verses last week, but I just want to read them again because they're so powerful. Jesus said, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. For anyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You parents, look what he says. You parents, any parents in the house today? Some halfway excited parents. Everybody else must be raising teenagers. Come on, somebody. How many parents in the house today? There you go. All right. You parents, look what he says. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone? If they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people, that's us. If you sinful, wicked, selfish people know how to good give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who do what? Who ask? Man, if we're evil and we know how to give good gifts, how much more? Will our Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who just keep on praying, that never stop praying, that persist in prayer? Why? Because this is the will of God for your life. And I said it a moment ago, and I'll say it again. The moment you stop talking is the moment you start dying. And your relationship with God begins to dwindle. Look at that next point. God's will for our lives is persistent prayer. Why? Because persistent prayer keeps us connected spiritually and relationally to our Heavenly Father, because prayer is our lifeline. Let, let me make a statement to you today. I want you to hear this. The goal of Christianity is not independence. It's dependence. The goal of Christianity is not independence. It's dependence. The goal of your relationship with God is not that you grow to a place spiritually where you no longer need the Lord. That's not the goal of Christianity. The goal of Christianity is that we grow to a place in Christ where we realize that I need him more and more and more and more and more and more in my life today than I ever needed him yesterday. That's the goal of Christianity, that we grow and we cultivate a life that is interdependent upon the Lord. And it's not that we can't make a decision. It's not that we don't mature and grow up. It just means that in our maturity and in our growth, we recognize how much we need Him. It's kind of the, the parable or the concept about learning. The more you learn, the more you realize you need to learn. <laughs> And the more you walk with God and the more you pray and the more you connect with him and the more you ask and the more you receive and the more you grow and the more you learn, the more you realize, I need God. And so God says persistent prayer is the will of God for our lives because it keeps us connected to him spiritually. It keeps us connected to him relationally. It keeps that lifeline open. How many of you remember the, the show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, right? It was on a few years ago, several years ago. It used to be the big thing. And on that show, you remember they used to have those little lifelines. And one of the lifelines was you could phone a friend. 
And everybody had that real nerd, geeky friend they would call if there was a science question. Right? And then everybody had that history buff friend they would call if it was a history question. Let me tell you something great about God. Prayer's our lifeline. There's no question you have that he don't have an answer to. And prayer is our lifeline. I can call him up 24-7, 365 a day through prayer and relationship with God. And I can get an answer to the question that's plaguing and bothering my life. And Paul says, never stop praying. Because this is God's will for your life. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells an interesting story. Look what it says. It says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story, King James calls them a parable, to show them that they should always pray and never give up. So the, the, the moral of the story Jesus gives us at the beginning of the story, here's the moral of the story, you should always pray and you should never give up. Never stop praying. And then he tells a story. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. How many know a judge that doesn't fear God and doesn't care about people is a horrible judge? Right? That's a horrible judge. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't have any, any concept of a greater authority. And he doesn't care about the people that he's supposed to be serving and leading. That's a horrible judge. But look what Jesus says. He says, but a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while. But finally he said to himself, I don't fear God. I don't care about people. But this woman is driving me crazy. <laughs> and I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her consistent requests. And then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he, the unjust judge, rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Now, understand what Jesus was not saying. Jesus was not saying God is an unjust judge. Jesus was saying, like he used with the parents, if a parent who is sinful knows how to give good gifts to their children, and if an unjust judge who doesn't fear God and cares about people gives justice to those who persist in him, then how much more, how much more will your heavenly Father, the judge of all the earth who loves you and sent his son to die for you, how much more? Will he not answer you and give justice to those who cry out to him day and night? And, and then Jesus asks a question at the end of that, verse 8. He says, but when the Son of Man returns, how, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? What I think is interesting about that little statement is that Jesus is talking about persistent prayer. And then he says, and when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? So this is what Jesus does. Jesus equals persistent prayer is equal to faith. Persistent prayer equals faith. Because if I have faith, if I believe that God is good and that God does care, then I'll pray. If I don't believe that God is good and God doesn't care about my life, then guess what? I won't pray. You know what I'll do? I'll scheme, I'll plan, I'll strategize, and I'll figure out a way to fix it myself. 
Let's just be honest. We've all been guilty of the latter. We've all been guilty of trying to scheme our way through this thing, trying to figure out, figuring out how, what am I going to do to fix this problem? And the realization is many times our prayerlessness is our sinfulness because we have somehow allowed the devil to deceive us into believing the lie that God is not good and God does not care, so it doesn't even do any good to pray, so I might as well just figure this out on my own. And we worry and we stress and we scheme and we plan. And our prayerlessness creates all kinds of conflict and chaos in our lives. Right now in the Middle East, we have war in the Middle East. And I know some things are happening right now. Praise God for some negotiations and things that are happening. But I want you to understand something. Everything that is happening in the Middle East right now, I want you to hear, I'm going to make a bold statement, is the result of a prayerless decision. Everything that's happening in the Middle East right now is a result of a prayerless decision. Now, that's a bold, broad statement, but let me give you my thought behind it. Genesis chapter 16. It says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. She was blaming God, by the way. So go and sleep with my servant, And perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. You know what the Bible doesn't say? The Bible doesn't say Abram said, hey, why don't we pray about that? You know, God had already talked to us once and told us he was going to give us a son, a child of promise in our old age. And now you want me to take Hagar, your servant, and let's see if God will give us a child through her. Why don't we pray about that? Now, we all read that story in our modern-day world. We think Sarah was crazy, and all the guys know Abraham was crazy. That's going to come back and bite you. (laughs) And it did. And Abraham and and Hagar birthed Ishmael. And then Abraham and Sarah birthed Isaac, and they've been fighting ever since and are still fighting today in 2023 right now in the Middle East. And the conflict happening in the world today can be rooted to a prayerless decision. A prayerless decision. They allowed frustration of time. How many know time can be one of the most frustrating things? They allowed the frustration of time. They had the promise, they had prayed the prayer, they were believing God. And day turned into week, and week turned into month, and month turned into year. I think about 10 years. And finally they said, hey, you know what, man, this this just ain't working. So why don't we take matters in our own hands? And they began to scheme, and they began to plan, and they began to plot, and they began to try to figure out a way, how are we going to do the thing that God promised he would do in our lives, but we're going to try to bypass somehow the promise of God. We're going to do it without him, even though it was originated with him. And how many times have we been guilty of the same? I'm, I've been there, done there, got the t-shirt. Let me just tell you something. I've had to fight some Ishmaels in my life. I've created things out of my own flesh. And let me tell you one of the greatest things I believe that persistent prayer does. Persistent prayer keeps us out of the flesh and enables us to walk in the Spirit. It keeps us out of making flesh-driven decisions because, hey, why don't we just pause and pray. 
Why don't we find out what God, you know, God started this anyway, so why don't we find out what God has to say about what's going on in our lives? And here's the good news. If you pray, God will answer. And if he don't answer the first time, keep on praying. If he don't answer the fifth time, keep on praying. If he don't answer after 10 years, keep on praying. Why? Because God hasn't changed his mind. He's still going to do what he said he would do because he's not a man that he should lie. And persistent prayer helps to keep my flesh and your flesh crucified and out of the way so that it doesn't become dominant in my decision-making processes. Let, let, me, let me just say it like this and we're going to move on. Don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many of us in this room have ever made a decision out of frustration? Ever made a decision out of anger? I mean, we were just flat out mad. Ever, ever made a decision out of hurt? Ever made a decision out of grief? Let me tell you what I know about all those decisions. They were all the wrong decisions. Every one of them. Every one of those decisions ends up being the wrong decision. And the sad thing is, is each of those decisions ends up birthing things that we now have to deal with that God never intended us to have to deal with, but because we were driven by flesh instead of led by the Spirit, we birthed into existence some things that God never intended to even be in our lives. And so I want to encourage us when we think about never stop praying because this is the will of God for you. That what God is doing is through prayer, through that constant communion and connection and conversation with the Lord. What God is doing is God is diffusing our flesh and keeping us, bring us back to the Spirit, bring us back to the Word, bringing us back to the promise, bring us back to what He intended and originated for our lives. Because He's a good Father. Can I get an amen? So let's shift gears for just a moment. That was a little heavy. <laughs> God's will for our lives is not just persistent prayer, but Paul goes on and says that God's will for our lives is an attitude of gratitude. Because prayer, or excuse me, an attitude of gratitude to be thankful. Listen to what he says. Be thankful in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So let me just tell you again, this is kind of like the joy part. God does not say be thankful for everything. He says be thankful in everything. You don't have to be thankful for the bad things, the hard things, the difficult things. But if you will learn, hear me today, if you will learn to be thankful in the hard things, in the difficult things, in the challenging things, if you will learn to be thankful in those circumstances but not thankful for those circumstances, you know what will happen? Thanksgiving will bring a breakthrough into your life. So we don't have to thank God for the bad things, but we have to thank God in all things. 
It's that attitude of gratitude that says, God, in everything I'm going to give thanks. I'm not going to thank you for all the bad things that happened, but I'm going to thank you that in the midst of the bad things, you're still good, and you're still God, and you're still with me, and you're still for me, and I'm not alone, and I'm not abandoned, and what you started, you're going to finish, and you're a good father, and you love me, and greater is he that is in me that's in the world, and I am more than a conqueror because you've loved me, and you set your love upon me, and you've chosen me, and you've accepted me, and you'll never leave me, and you'll never forsake Forsake me. So, God, I'm just going to thank you for being who you are. And that's how, that's how, that's how we break through the hard things. That's how we break through the difficult things. That's how we break through the grievous, sorrowful things that want to grip our souls and crush our spirits with an attitude of gratitude that says, God, I just want to praise you and thank you for who you are. Look at that next point. So God's will for our lives is an attitude of gratitude because prayer and thanksgiving release the peace of God. In Philippians 4, we read verse 6. Let's read it again. Look what it says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And look what he says there. And thank him for all he has done. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And then thank God. Thank God for all he has done. Do you realize, do you realize that regardless of what is happening in your life right now, we all have unlimited opportunities to thank God for what he has already done. Regardless of what's going on in your life right now, we all have unlimited opportunities to thank God for what he has already done. There was an old Baptist pastor out in California, E.V. Hill, he's gone home to be with the Lord, and E.V. Hill made this statement one time. He said, there's three reasons I'm thankful that I'm saved. He said, reason number one, I'm thankful that I'm saved because I'm not going to hell. He said, number two, I'm thankful that I'm saved because I'm not going to hell. And number three, I'm thankful that I'm saved because I'm not going to hell. How are you glad you're not going to hell today? Anybody? And I can thank God every day that I'm not going to hell because of what Jesus has done for me. And when I can't thank him for anything, I can thank him that he saved me and he redeemed me. And heaven is my home and hell will never be my dwelling place. And I'm so thankful that I'm not going to hell. How about you? And so all of a sudden we recognize, thank God for all he has done. Then look at that next verse. Pray about everything. Thank God for what he has done. And then he says, and then, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It will guard your hearts and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. When, When I begin to pray about everything, And thank God for what he has done. This is the will of God for me. Why? Because all of a sudden it releases the peace of God into my life. Let me tell you you what I know will happen. When you lose your peace, you lose your ability to make good, healthy, godly decisions. When you lose your peace, you lose the ability to make good, healthy, godly decisions. But when you have peace of mind and peace of heart that comes from God, guess what happens? You can see clearly. 
There's a clarity that comes through peace. There's a clarity that allows you to make the next right decision, the next right choice. Take the next right path that God wants you to take because you're operating out of the peace of God that transcends all understanding. doesn't even make sense, but it's real. And Paul says that's one of the benefits, that's one of the blessings, that's one of the opportunities that God wants us to experience as we choose His will to pray about everything and give thanks in every situation of our life. Look at that next point. God's will for our lives is an attitude of gratitude because Thanksgiving, listen to this, delivers us from a poverty mentality and it empowers us to be content with what we have. It delivers us from a poverty mentality and it enables us to be content with what we have. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 10, the Apostle Paul again, look what he says. He says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. And I know that you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. Look what he says. For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. And I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. And look at this next little phrase. And I have learned, listen to this, I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether it is with a full stomach or with an empty stomach. With plenty or with little. And then here's verse 13, right? It's called the ten finger prayer. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So listen to what Paul says. Paul says, Paul says I have learned the secret to living in every situation. Here it is. Contentment. Whether I got a full belly or empty belly, whether I have enough or whether I have more than enough, I have learned the secret to living my life to its fullest potential. Here it is. Be content. Be content. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. And then he uses that, gives that great verse, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Every time we quote that verse, we're trying to win something, right? Every Alabama and Auburn fan yesterday was quoting that verse somewhere in the game. Come on, Jesus, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But what's interesting about the context of that scripture, the context of that scripture doesn't have anything to do with winning a sporting event. It doesn't have anything to do with winning a business promotion. It doesn't have anything to do with winning in life in general. It has everything to do with contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What can I do through Christ who strengthens me? I can be content. I can be content with what I have, where I am, on the way to where God is taking me. Because here's the good news. He's not done with me yet, and he's not done with you either. Amen? But I can be content, and if I can learn how to be content, then all of a sudden I can experience the joy and the peace that God wants every person on planet Earth to have. I'm reading a book right now called The Philosophy of Money. And if you want an interesting read, it's a great story to read. And, and, and in one of the chapters, a guy talks about this. He talks about this concept of enough. He says, we live in America and we have, we have this not enough mentality in America. Everybody always wants more. It's never enough. And he says what's interesting, and he uses a couple stories from some, I mean, filthy, stinking rich millionaires. I mean, they had like 70, 80 million dollars. And he used two comparisons of these guys 
who had millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. And each of these guys could never get enough. And it led them to making immoral, ungodly, illegal decisions to the point that they both lost all their money and went to prison. Because enough was never enough. And here's, here's the kicker, guys. God says, here's my will for you. Be thankful. Be thankful for what you have. Why? Because God wants to deliver us from that poverty mentality that says, I never have enough. Let me tell you, when, when, you, when you have a poverty mentality, here's two things you constantly do. You constantly compare and you constantly complain. You compare yourself to other people and you complain because you don't have what they have. You compare and complain. You compare and complain. You compare and complain. And if I had their job or their spouse or their money or their position or their platform or their this or their that, I'd be happy. And if you find yourself in the comparison complaining trap, here's the secret to breakthrough. Give thanks. Give thanks. Begin to thank God for what you have. See, the devil wants us to focus on what we don't have. And here's the, here's the truth. The truth is, there's always going to be somebody with more. <laughs> Somebody's always going to have more than you. More whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. Somebody always has more. You flip the coin, somebody also always has less. I, I can take you to Africa and I can show you a, a whole world of people that have less. <laughs> Every single one of them have less than you. So the devil wants us to focus on what we don't have. God wants us to focus on what we do have and begin to give thanks. Why? Because thanksgiving creates contentment. And contentment breaks the back of that poverty mentality and robs us of joy. Robs us of peace. And robs us of the ability to enjoy our life where we are. On the way to where we're going. Being content doesn't mean I don't desire bigger things or greater things or more things. That's not what it means. It just means I'm happy with what I have where I'm at. And I'm not going to dwindle. I'm not going to waste today comparing and complaining because I don't have what I want tomorrow. I'm going to embrace today. As I move toward the tomorrow and the purpose and the plan that God has. And if today's my last day, I want to live my last day being content and being thankful for what I have. Not being grumbling and griping and miserable about what I don't have. Any day could be your last day. What if every day was a thankful day? That'd be a beautiful way to live our lives. Amen. Let me give you one last thought. So God's will for our lives is an attitude of gratitude because thanksgiving allows us to enter into his presence. And in his presence is the fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. In Psalms 100, verse 4 and 5, the Bible says this, Enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. And his courts with what? Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Why? For the Lord is good. 
His unfailing love continues forever. And His faithfulness continues to each and every generation. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Enter His courts with praise. Let me tell you what's powerful about thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, when I live with an attitude of gratitude, and I begin to give thanks and I begin to praise God and thank God for who He is and what He's done. Praise, praise and thanksgiving invites me into the very presence of God. God inhabits the praises of His people. And when I learn how to have an attitude of gratitude and I learn how to thank God in every circumstance, that spirit of thanksgiving and praise invites His presence. I'm just going to tell you something today. The greatest place to be on planet Earth is in the presence of God. When you sense His presence, the Bible says in His presence is the fullness of joy and at His right hand is pleasure forevermore. In other words, redneck version, it's as good as it gets. Come on, somebody. In His presence, that's as good as it gets. And God says, this is my will for you, that you always give thanks. Because God wants us to experience the power of His presence. God wants us to experience the nearness of His Spirit in our lives. And here's, here's what we know to be true. If we flip that coin for just a minute, if you lose an attitude of gratitude and you begin to compare and complain, compare and complain, you know what will happen? It won't be long before God will feel like He's a million miles away. You'll feel all alone. You'll feel like nobody cares. And no matter how hard you try, you'll think nothing's ever going to change. But God in His mercy and His grace, He says, this is my will for you. In every circumstance, give thanks. Because it invites my presence. And in my presence, no matter how difficult your life is, in my presence, no matter how hard the circumstances are, in my presence there's joy. And in my presence, you'll find pleasure. You'll find pleasure. The pleasure of the Lord that just makes everything all right, even when nothing's all right. <laughs> That's the goodness of God. And I want to do this this morning. I want to ask our prayer teams to come. And I want to just open the altar this morning. And this is what I really felt like the Lord said just this morning as I was praying and preparing for today. Man, I felt like today God really wants to minister to you. And maybe, maybe you're here today and maybe, maybe you're struggling with some prayerlessness. Maybe disappointment and discouragement is kind of taking the edge off your prayer life. You're not really talking to God, and you're not really going to God, and you're not really looking to Him. Oh, you still believe Jesus is the Son of God. You, you haven't abandoned the hope of your salvation, but, but you know that right now your relationship with the Lord's not what it should be, not what it could be, not even what it was. But today... God says, this is my will. Never stop praying. And here's the good news. God never tires 
of your prayers. And so I want to open the altar up this morning, and maybe you want somebody to pray with you. That's wonderful. Our prayer team would love to pray with you. Maybe you just want to come and kneel in the altar and just humble yourself before the Lord and say, God, I'm just coming to you right now. So right now, I want you to begin to come. If that's you, just come. Just come. The Holy Spirit is dealing with you. God is speaking to you right now. This is just your moment. You need prayer or you want to pray or maybe you want to just press into prayer this morning. God is calling you. Maybe, maybe you're here today and maybe, maybe you realize that attitude of gratitude. It's been a, a while since you really just thank God for what you had. Maybe you realize you've got called in that comparison trap. And today you just want to give thanks. Today you just want to come and, and just kneel in the Lord and say, kneel before the Lord and say, God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for saving me. I want to thank you that I'm not going to hell, God. I want to thank you that my life's been redeemed. If that's you right now, the altar's open. You, you just come. Just come this morning. This is your moment. Just to get real with God. This is a holy place, guys. This is no judgment. No, nobody's looking at you thinking anything. This is your moment just to to be honest with yourself and say, Lord, I, man, I, I want to walk in your will today. And God, I, I want to I embrace who you have. He said, in, in my presence is the fullness of joy, that you can enter my courts with thanksgiving. So maybe you just want to come and kneel and say, God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for who you are. Maybe you haven't really sensed his presence in a while, and this morning, you just really desire that touch from heaven. This is your moment. This is your time. I want to ask if you would just to bow your heads for just a minute. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, man, God is speaking to you this morning. Don't miss it. Press into Him today. This is... God's will for you. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. And in everything, give thanks. What a beautiful, beautiful promise. What a beautiful invitation that God is giving to us this morning. He's inviting us to come to that place of joy, that place of peace. So, Lord, we thank you for that today. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize, you know what, Pastor Keith, I, I, don't, even, I don't even know God. I've never been saved. I've never been what Jesus called being born again where my heart was changed. And I realize today, maybe in this room or maybe watching online, that I've never made that decision. But I know in my heart right now the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. And you know in your heart this morning that more than anything, you need Jesus. You need to know Him. And you realize that, hey, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. I've come short of the glory of God. And I'm willing to repent of my sins. And I'm willing to turn to Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And I want to commit to follow Him from this day forward. And I want to receive that gift of eternal life that He's promised to those who would believe in Him. If that's you this morning, you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to be saved. I want to accept Christ. I want you just to raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith. I'm going to raise my hand this morning. I'm going to acknowledge the fact that today I want to pray. I want to accept Christ. You can hit that hand emoji online. You can type in that chat box, I'm raising my hand. I, I want to accept Christ today. But if you're in the room today, just slip your hand up. Our ushers would love to come 
We're just going to put a packet in your hand as you raise your hand. And I'm going to pray with each and every one of us this morning. We're going to close this time together in a time of holy prayer before the Lord. So if that's you, just slip your hand up. Today, Pastor Keith, I want to accept Christ. I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Let's pray this prayer together. Let's say it out loud, all of you with me, if you would. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I repent of my sins and I turn to you and I receive by faith the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. We're going to let these continue to pray in the altar today, but we love you guys. God bless you. Uh, remember, ladies, you can stop by the Information Center and sign up for next Sunday's Ladies of Liberty Christmas party. We love you guys. Have a blessed day. See you soon.